You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Grow Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be speaking with Hannah Arrowwood. She is the founder and executive director of Present Age Ministries. Hannah, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Zach. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you. Yeah, Can you tell us a little bit about Present Age? Uh, how did you guys maybe get started and what you've been up to lately that you are uh, maybe particularly excited about? Sure. So Present Age Ministries just celebrated 10 years. And really, we are our goal and our mission is to combat the sexual abuse, exploitation, and trafficking of specifically teen girls. And the way that we do that is through um, equipping, equipping communities to identify at-risk youth through awareness and prevention programming while um, providing holistic services to identified survivors, identified victims. And we do that in a slew of support systems that we put in place for the, the young girls that we work with. Awesome. And when it comes to um, how did I get started, um, I, <laughs> I did it kicking and screaming, if I'm honest. <laughs> um we, I was in corporate America and, you know, doing what you do in America, you know, you pursue that, the, those dreams and, mm-hmm. and just knew that there was something more and finally um, submitted to the will of the Lord and not my own and began a journey that seemingly was um, very unmarked and there were, there wasn't a path and there was no guidebook and here we are 10 years later and I'm just amazed at the things that the Lord has put in place and how he has connected um, people and resources and built upon the foundation that he's created. And it's been really incredible just to be a part of. Um, so for me, one of the things that is exciting at the, the place that we're at in ministry is, is looking back and seeing um, really the fruit of the labor that's been and the foundation that has been laid and now how that foundation is, is preparing us to build. Mm. One of the things recently that we've been talking about is, you know, and I feel like the Lord has been solid in saying is the foundation is, is secure, trust it, mm. you know, and so this starting to replicate and duplicate. One of the things that was very clear in the beginning was make sure that the foundation is solid because I'm going to call you one day to replicate it. And so, you know, 10 years ago, that made no sense. I don't even know what we're doing. So how, what are, what are we going to replicate? Yeah. Like that always be in the back of our mind. So whether it was procedural or whether it was operational or whether it was strategic at a board level, that's always been in the back of our mind. And how, how can we take what we're learning in this season to be prepared to duplicate it when it comes down to, and we're in the season of that, whether that is regionally, whether that is internationally, and we're really getting to see the fruit of that. And it's, it's really rewarding to watch that play out. That's really cool. Well, and, and the patience that is required to be okay with that foundational building season. It's excruciating at times. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It, yeah I, f- I feel like for us, that's kind of the position we're in where I've, especially as the leader of this organization, got all these strategies 
in in my head and, and this vision that the Lord's given me for what this organization could be. And I want to get there tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. But over the over the last couple of years he's just really been building foundations and um helping guide in procedures that will uh allow us to get to that point hopefully prayerfully in the in the future. But um just being okay and with being patient for that stuff to be being diligent on the day to day basis to move in that direction. Yeah. Um, but yeah. being patient for his timing and, and what this ministry could be. And I think uh that's that's really cool that you guys have um been okay with being in that patience patient foundational yeah. piece. And I'm sure that at some point within yeah. that you were there was a kicking and screaming like I wanna just go. Um yeah. but uh yeah, it, it, I think it really shows um, when an organization is able to build upon those foundations before they run off and try to do too much. Well, I think that's the, that you hit the nail on the head. You know, when we wouldn't have been in a place to be able to sustain it had we done it earlier than the ordained time. Mm-hmm. And I think as you start to see that play out, you learn to rest in the waiting um, In recognize that okay there's something we obviously don't have yet mm-hmm. and so what do we need to learn and gain and glean in this season so that we'll be, we will be ready um and it's not easy all the time but it does pay off i think yeah yeah now are you guys national international a hybrid model what is what does that kind of look like so um really on um, our impact is international um, when it comes to the different programming that we use we um our, our primary focus is really at a regional level here in and around the Charlotte, North Carolina area. Um, that's really where a, the most of our emphasis of our work is done. But we've had the opportunity and to do different trainings and to do different types of talking about the programming and the models that we're running at a national level here in the United States um, through a, very, a variety of different channels. Um, and then we've also implemented programming and trained people internationally in multiple countries to um, take the model of, of programming that we've done, whether it be early intervention or, you know, providing direct services to identified victims um, across um, multiple countries. Interesting. I, I feel like, and I don't know the space obviously as well as you do, but I feel like a lot of organizations will focus internationally and then they bring, yeah. bring those models back to the States. Yeah, that's, you're, you're exactly right. A lot of the, and I think some of that reasoning is, is because really up until the last 10 or 15 years, human trafficking wasn't talked a lot in the United States. Mm. And so we knew there was a huge prevalency of this in other countries. And so people went to do the work. And then as it became more prevalent in the United States and at least more talked about and more in the limelight, people realized that there was a need not to just go to another country to provide services, but it, that it was needed here in the United States also. Yeah. Oh, shoot. This is happening in our backyard. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And what is, I mean, I think you may, maybe touched on this a little bit, but what has been some of the hardest lessons you've had to learn as you've built this organization over the last 10 years? Is it in that patience piece that you were discussing, or is there some other elements that have been particularly difficult as you've grown yeah. this organization? Um, I would say, I think organizationally, one of the most challenging things, it has been um, at times seemingly the lack of involvement at the community level. Mm. Um, this is one of those issues that, I mean, 
it's similar to like a starving child or child, you know, a form of child abuse. So there's, we all agree that this is not okay. Right. You would think it would be a seemingly easy, um, an easy position for people to take. Mm -hmm. But what we have found is this, this really scares people. And so when people are afraid of an issue, it's easier to kind of pretend that it's not happening or to run away from it versus run towards the issue and be a part of the solution. And I think in the beginning, that was very hard for us as a team to understand. And how do we, how do we get over that obstacle? Because it just wasn't one we were prepared to face. Mm. Um, And so, you know, at an organizational level, how do we strategically and operationally fight and tackle this issue and so at a strategic level, you know, how do we tell stories better? How do we communicate hope versus fear? Those are the kind of conversations we would have. And at an operational day-to-day level, how do we educate our community so they're not afraid of this issue? And they recognize that regardless of the sphere of influence they're in, they can have an impact. And so we really had to break it down both strategically and operationally to be able to overcome that. You know, we expected to face issues of the girls, you know, that we're trying to serve not understanding that they're a victim. We expected that they might go back to the life. Those were seemingly easier mm-hmm. to, to target and tackle because we, we had some understanding of that. Um, but it was the ones that you don't expect that I think sometimes throw you off guard. Yeah. You've got, you've got this quote on your homepage of the website it says a community unaware of the problem will not be a part of the solution. Let's change yeah. that together. So that idea that <clears throat> one, there's an educational piece around, like just bringing awareness to the issue. Uh, I, I think it's talked about a little bit, but definitely not enough. But like what? so what are you guys practically doing to bring awareness, to educate your audience and donor base, uh, to communicate the stories of how God is moving through your ministry to your donors and supporters? What, what does that kind of look like for you guys? Since you've obviously seen the need that that there is a, a need to educate. There is a need to inspire through storytelling. So how, what have you guys done to do that? Absolutely. Well, I think we've, first of all, we've learned a lot. We've done it wrong. <laughs> we've learned <laughs> what to do. Um, but one of the things that I think has been very helpful is, is really we have got, and if you will, specialized in communicating to audiences. And what I mean by that is the way that I communicate to business leaders is going to be drastically different than the way I communicate to doctors is going to be drastically different than the way that I communicate to parents. And so learning to really um, become more efficient in knowing what's going to speak to your audience, which is just a form of learning great communication, mm-hmm. but, but actually applying that in the way in which we train volunteer advocates in the way that we train people who are going out to speak about this issue Um, because it's easy to just go out and say, we're going to just tell people about this issue, right? Well, this is the issue. These are the stats. This is why you should care. It's another thing if we connect it to their, well, this is how it would affect your business. and This Mm. is how you would see it cross your path in an emergency room. Now it becomes something real and practical that they can grab hold of versus, well, this issue sucks and I don't know how to do it. So I've got a list of 30 other things I've got to care about making it very practical for people to understand. Um, I think that's been a huge, huge um, bridge for us in the community. And I think when it comes to sharing stories, everybody, there's very, very few people in this world that 
don't haven't raised ch children or have nieces or nephews, grandkids, or are close to people who do. And so one of the things that we have gotten creative in doing is how do we connect the stories of redemption, the stories of healing to someone who has a 13 year old? Um, because we can't present our, our survivors, our clients to anybody. They're never going to see their faces. You know, they're never going to, we're not going to ever parade them. And especially because all of our girls are minors and that would be re-exploiting them. Right. So how do we, how do we make that connection so that it's a real person that they feel like they're learning about, not just some story in a far off place. Um, and so equipping our people, whether that be through newsletters, whether that be in social media, whether that be in training our advocates. So when they're out in the community talking, they have tangible, real stories of what's happening today in the lives of girls that are being served by present age ministries. And so for us, it was creating a mechanism of delivering those stories. And how do our, how do those staff members and volunteers working with direct services, we call them God moments. How do they report those God moments so that they're getting distributed among the team as a whole so that those things can be continually communicated? They're continually fresh stories. So even if someone's heard us talk before, the stories are changing. The life impact is being reemphasized. And that just has really helped us create a bridge for people feeling like they can connect to the heartbeat of the ministry, even though they may never meet the girls. Now, practically on a, with your storytelling, what does that look like? Like that's that, that that's like a thirty thousand foot view of what your storytelling yeah. looks like on the ground. What does that look like on a day to day basis, or, or in your uh, more frequent interactions with your donor base? Yeah. So we, um, on a regular monthly basis, we are telling our donors how many new referrals we got and how many how many girls are active in our programming, and we are in our newsletters. We are sending out you know quotes in stories captured from when they were at group session, which is a part of their therapy, or what they said about a staff member or things in, in the weekly passing. That's one of the things that the, everybody that works directly with clients reports on a monthly basis things that God is doing in the lives of our clients. And so that then gets funneled into various channels, whether it's all, anybody that gives during a month gets an email talking about the impact that was made in the previous month. So they're getting real live up-to-date information, if you will, not just on a biannual basis or year in report. Mm. Um, and we also have what we call about me cards. So those are just what we internally have nicknamed them. But any, when girl, a, a client discharges our programming, we sit down and almost in essence do like an exit interview with her, right? Uh-huh. Her favorite thing, what, what impacted her the most, what lie did she believe when she came here, and now how does she see herself differently? We have like these set of staple questions that we ask them, and then we actually do a photo shoot with her where she gets to pick out her favorite flower and she gets to pick out her favorite color. And so the, this card then becomes a representation of her, but you don't ever see her face, you don't ever know her name, her real name. They all have synonyms and pseudonyms, and they get to help pick that to represent who they are. So there's this, there's so much detail that goes into it, but then those are cards that we are able to actually give out at events or to specific donors or when we're meeting new people. And it literally is a, is, is a representation of her, but it's actually then her own words saying why present age has mattered so much and why it impacts. Um, and there's nothing more powerful than helping someone recognize like this is someone who's 
been through this and is now able to tell you why this is important. Um, and it really has been very, a very impactful thing for us to implement. That's really cool. So you're able to creatively tell individual stories of your beneficiaries without putting necessarily a face to that story. So you're, you're not exploiting them for their story. Exactly. Exactly. And of course it's done with their permission. So we right. never just, they are actively a part of that. And if they're, if they're not over 18 at that point, their guardians are part of that. Gotcha. Now, are you ever telling stories with a face where you're using actors and false yes. names? Yes. Yes. So we do do that. Um, digitally speaking, we um, are actually getting ready to redo our do redo videos here in this month, but we will get um, teenagers, actors, people from local high schools, and we will have girls write stories um, again, de-identified. So they're not identifying anything about like where their trafficking happened or what, what those type of things that way you could, we could never track them back, mm-hmm. um, but then provide a way for them to tell their own story. That's really cool. And, and I'm assuming you've seen a lot of success with that model. Yes. And in fact, if you were to check out our website, um, part of um, one of the, one of the tabs that we have is their stories. And it actually has, not only a video of that be, the, that being portrayed, but also stories written about our girls that you can click on and, and read through. That's really cool. I think a, a lot of smaller organizations that are trying to figure out how to tell their stories without exploiting their beneficiaries for their stories. Uh, um, it's a struggle. And it's something that you have to really um, – a lot of time evaluating but to me we actually didn't start doing a lot of storytelling really until like the last three or four years because we just wanted to make sure we were doing it right and mm-hmm. not and that just to me that's one of those things that was a non-negotiable you know so you you understand you understood the power that story had you just wanted to make sure that you were doing it right and and not um right. serving to and do not, harm exactly, while you're exactly. trying to help your beneficiary Exactly. Mm, that's really good. Let's shift a little bit, but I think it, it sort of relates. Uh, it definitely relates. But for any nonprofit, fundraising is necessity to growing uh, a successful ministry. So how do you guys approach fundraising and what are you doing to increase your support? Um, uh, you've touched on that a little bit with your storytelling. So what is that? Yeah. What is your kind of strategy for fundraising look like throughout the year? Yeah, so um, big picture – um, 30,000 foot, we really break down our fundraising into different categories. So we break it down into individual donors, church, um, churches, businesses, and events. Really, those are our big categories. We don't do a ton of grant funding. Um, if we do, it usually comes to us and someone has asked us to apply for something. And so um, we just have found we focus really on those primary, um, primary categories. And within then each of those categories, there is a different, if you will, subset of a strategy. So we have found that with individual giving, it's, all, it's always our largest component or portion of the pie chart, if you will. And so um, we have gotten really intentional about finding ways to do that. So, and some of them overlap. For example, like when we're reaching out and building a relationship with a church, oftentimes churches can incorporate us into their mission giving budget, whether that's on a monthly basis or quarterly or annual basis. 
But then we start talking with those leaders about, okay, now how can we though get in front of your people? Mm. Because there's going to be a, a subset of your people, your congregation that this is their heartbeat. And so how do we get in front of them um, for volunteering, for being a part of our prayer team and or being a part of giving? Um, and so sometimes those things overlap. What we've also found, one of the one of the practical things that we've done is what we call donor dinners, where we get our key leadership, so our board, key volunteers to actually host a dinner within their home. Um, because now it's personal and the, the person that's hosting the dinner is prayerfully and strategically thinking, okay, who would be in a place that has some, you know, extra income to commit to a monthly partnership? That's really the goal is because that's what we can budget off of, you know, right. Who's giving on a consistent basis? I mean, that five thousand dollar gift is great, but I don't. If I don't know what's coming, you know, we call it. You know, that's the gap God feels for us. Yeah, um, can't plan for those every year. Yeah, and so that's a practical way that we really look to increase our individual giving is through um, those types of things. And then for our events, we have three staple events that we do a year, and. Um, we do a 5K, we do a golf tournament, and we do an annual gala, pretty typical. Um, but the bit, the cool part about those is the only one that we actually put on is the gala. And for us, it's a formal dinner, but it really, the, the focus is on celebrating what God did the previous year. Yes, there's an ask, and yes, there's an opportunity for people to give, but we really spend time intentionally, strategically trying to figure out how can we communicate the success and what God has done this year, mm. because we want it to be a way to celebrate, not just beg for money. Right. Uh, and, but the other two events, our 5k and our golf tournament, other people actually host on our behalf. Um, and they just feel that that's their contribution to present age. They have, they felt passionate about this. And so those are several years running. So our team, our volunteers, our board, we support it, but we aren't involved. We don't have to be in the details and the time and the labor of actually planning it. Oh, that's really um, nice. And so, and so we've learned to start communicating that to the community. Like, look, if you have a heart for this and you have a gift of networking and you have a, you know, a sphere of influence, do a, do a fundraiser for us. You know, it doesn't have to, you don't have to commit to do it over and over. And people have actually grabbed hold of that, which has been incredible for us. That's awesome. <laughs> but, yeah. So that's big picture. So your your gala event is really a celebration of your donors and and what God's done to your organization, rather than this big, hard ask that uh, determines what your budget is going to be for the next year. Exactly. Um, we actually um, strategically um, go to our, for example, like our high level donors or people who've been involved or committed for multiple years, we will go to those people and say, look, why do you invest and continue to invest in present age? And they have their answer. And then we ask them, well, would you like to be, would you like to be a part of this event? And the way that you can be a part of this event is by being a table captain, meaning you better than anyone else can explain why someone should support this ministry because you have done it. And so will you invite eight of your friends that to come to this dinner, it's a fun night. You guys, you'll, you'll love the people at your table. You, you can also then we'll communicate why, because we'll tell them about the success stories and we'll tell them about what's going on. But then you can follow up better than we can and say, look, I invest my own dollars and this is why, and this is what I've seen over the last two years, five years, 10 years. 
Um, and so it becomes a soft sell, if you will, for mm. us, because the people that are already invested are the ones communicating why other people should be invested versus us. Um, so it's another it's another way for you guys to build up a donor base of uh, exactly. brand ambassadors and brand advocates exactly. for present exactly. age. Exactly. Rather than just another event to have a hard ask. I, th- I think that's really important for organizations to hear is because what we see a lot is organizations will <clears throat> uh, their budget for the next year is determined by uh, maybe a end of year push or a middle of the year gala yeah. and depending on how well those events go determines what their next year budget is going to be and then there's this mad dash t- for god to um step in and fill in the gaps and yeah. not that not to say that we shouldn't be pursuing that and expecting yeah. that and praying for that and um uh hoping that god will step into those voids but i think that there's uh, some wisdom in strategically planning your year, not around these big events that could or may may or may not go well, you know, especially if we have yeah. a recession year where people don't have large yeah. amounts of disposable yeah. income that they can give. Um, you know, you don't want to be basing your budget off of something like that. And so that's, that's really wise of you guys to strategize like that. Now, with your individual donor pursuits and, and specifically that donor dinner thing that you talked about within that, I'm assuming that you and your staff are not going to every single one of those dinners. So those are being held by your brand advocates or, or donor advocates, whatever you want to call them, your ambassadors for your organization. Yeah. How have you guys um, strategized around controlling the message that takes place within those dinners? Because I think there's yeah. space for those donor dinners to go uh, for present age, maybe to be communicated differently than may, you may or may want it to be communicated. And so Absolutely. what kind of toolkits or guidance are you giving for your people, your, your donor bases to go do dinners like that? So you hit the nail on the head. They get a, they get a toolkit, they get a guide. They actually, um, there's a worksheet that is used in advance that's asking them questions that get them prepared to articulate the things that are important to articulate and making them, causing them to think about those answers. For example, like, why did I, why did you choose to get involved with present age? Well, helping them think through that answer and then also giving them feedback on ways that they could tweak what they say. Um, But it also then, they are given certain things, tangible things like the about me cards for our girls that they're giving to each one of their attendees. And they're, they're given information such as, it's cost X number of dollars for every girl to have counseling. And oh, by the way, did you know that she goes on a weekly basis? Did you know that it costs? And so they're given practical things that they can provide mm. um, at a financial level to those attendees. But one of the things that we do emphasize is that somebody in leadership goes to the dinners because reality is what we have found. And there'll come a time when that's not possible mm-hmm. right now. That's still manageable, but, one of the things that we have found is important is that, especially when we're, you're talking about um, different um, types of individuals, they really do want to hear from leadership and what's, what's happening and what's God doing and where, where are we going. And we have found that that sometimes is not as effective when you have maybe a volunteer who serves once or twice a month. Hard mm-hmm. for them to communicate that. So um, 
for example, when we when the board hosts those dinners, we schedule those out for the year. And so it's a, we're able to coordinate schedules to do for certain people to be there. But then when other, you know, when other people do, we may have a key volunteer who's really invest, who's really vested and involved goes to that one. So we're able to um, distribute the responsibility, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're intentional to make those a priority. Whereas we might re- rearrange priorities based on what we know is coming down the pipeline to make sure that those 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 do happen in our given the, the amount of attention that's needed. Now, for your board, is that a requirement that you place on your board that they host it a is. dinner like that throughout the year at some point? It, yep, it's one of their requirements. When it comes to fundraising for our board, we have learned the hard way <laughs> what to do and not to do. And so we are pretty clear, we are crystal clear on expectation for our board members. Um, for example, they're required to host a donor dinner. They're required to give. We have to have 100% giving. You know, they're required to host a table or sponsor the gala. So there's ex- there's expectation that our board has. And we have found that once that expectation is clear, there's no problem. Like, they just do it. Mm. It's just making sure that it's clear. <laughs> Does that... Does that place a particular um, uh, socioeconomic position that your board needs to be in before they can be a part of your board? Uh, no. And in fact, we see it play out in both ways. We have some board members that are, you know, like will be great connectors and or even themselves sponsors for gala, for example. And they mm-hmm. can they can write larger checks. You know, they can write a $10,000, $20,000 check, right? Whereas some of them have a huge sphere of influence of individuals who are at a place where they can give $100, $200, $500 a month, you know, whatever. And so it's, it's, it's learning and helping them know where their strength is and, and capitalizing on that, but not, not downplaying either. Not, they're not, one's not more important than the other. Mm-hmm. It's just learning how to strategize that and, and play into that. That's really cool. That's good. Uh, how do you guys approach your donor care strategies? Yep. So we break them down into categories. <laughs> so we have a um, reoccurring theme. Yeah, we have a three. We're, we like we like processes. And <laughs> haven't gathered. <laughs> um, we have a three tiered. We do have a fundraising advisory committee that I haven't mentioned that really plays a vital part in all of this and just making sure that the pieces happen. We actually just implemented that in 2019, and it's been a huge help to us. Um, so we are we look at things from first time giver, first time donors who get a handwritten thank you note to people who give on our anybody that gives in a certain month is getting up to date information. We send out handwritten thank you notes. Board is involved in writing thank you notes on a quarterly or biannual basis. Um, our donors are getting uh, phone calls following up, like we just want to check in on you and your family. Like how is life? <laughs> you right. know, Take things personal, um, and so those there's lots of practical things that we do. But what we have fa- found is to be the most critical piece, and really at the heartbeat of what we do. We weren't great at this in the beginning, but we have learned to be better at this. Is that making sure that those that give to us don't feel like a transaction was done. Mm. We want them to feel like they are a part of the family, and that there's a relationship that is cultivated, even if we don't talk on a regular basis. Um, and really making feel, making sure that they re- not just feel, but that it's because it's how we feel that 
you are a part of the life impact and the kingdom work that's being done. And how do we make sure that you get that communicated to you? Um, and so we really are cautious not to feel like things are transactional. Mm. Like, thanks for your, thanks for your money. Hope you have a great life. And they right. never hear. Um, and there are times still that that unfortunately happens, but we're quick to acknowledge, like, we're so sorry that that was, that was an oversight on our part, you know, and just owning it mm-hmm. versus, um, and how do we learn and make sure that that doesn't happen again? Um, in the process. Yeah. I mean, I'm, if, if we're going to call donor participation in, in our ministry's work, especially financial participation, a partnership, then it, a partnership is a two-way uh, yeah. two-way relationship and interaction. And so what can we do? Like, how can, how can we be praying for our donors and caring for our donors uh, lives? And, and how, like, there, I mean, there's a, there's a little, it's difficult, I think, to go too far into that because uh, at the end of the day, you got, you guys have to run a ministry, right? And and exactly. your time is, is spent on doing that, doing what you've been called to, but um, the, the donors very much integral and, and, like our organizations would not exist without their partnership. And so um, figuring out ways to as best we can as organizations communicate that, uh, that, that it is a tourist street and they matter and that they're, they, our organizations wouldn't exist without them is so integral and, and, and crucial to what we do um, with this, especially within that, this, uh, the ministry space. Yeah. Definitely. Now, this is a bit of a shift, but how are you guys working discipleship into your programs? Um, and is is that your primary goal? Is it a secondary goal? Like, what does that kind of look like for present age? Yeah, this might actually be one of my favorite questions. Um, so, I think for 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 me personally, in the the role that God has called me to be in, as well as culturally within our organization, at the board level, at the staff level, and filtering into our volunteers, and then filtering in into the clients and the community that we served, it, it really is all about discipleship. Mm. Um, you'll never see that anywhere on our website. <laughs> You're never going to see that. Um, but what we have found is that we can only go as far as we have been and we can't take anybody there if we haven't gone there. Right. And so um, our relationship with the Lord and our intimacy with the Lord and the depth of our understanding of the character of his heart. And that has to be continually growing in each of us individually. And so how do we iron sharpens iron at board meetings and how do we intentionally, not by chance, but just because we're a faith-based ministry doesn't mean it's going to happen, you know? And so we have become very intentional actually to strategize that probably even more so than we do operational things because we have found is that when that is strong and when that's in place, the ability and the fluidity to have the wisdom of how to do things comes much faster. Mm. And so we do it at a board level. We do it at a staff level. We do it at, uh, and, and it's now known that the culture is expected to trickle down. There's a trickle down approach, right? So what mm-hmm. I do with the staff that report to me is expected to be modeled in the staff that report to them. It's expected to be modeled in the, the volunteers that serve under them. Um, and so quite practically, what that looks like is a time of, you know, I'll just, I'll use me and my, the staff that report to me, for example. We're, you know, we meet on a weekly basis 
And we're talking about organizationally what's going on in their world, what's coming up, what do they have obstacles with, what do they need, right? And what are they, what are they seeing to be successful? But in the same meeting, then the question becomes, well, how are you growing in the Lord? And where do you, where do you sense that you're being attacked? And where do you need prayer? Mm. And so that conversation is one conversation every week. Um, and so there is a expectation that they're growing and, and we're studying scripture as a staff together in weekly staff meetings and we're praying together, you know, once a month, we call it our first fruits. The first Monday of every month, we spend committed time in prayer for the upcoming month and celebrating what God did the month before. And so there, there are those practical things of discipleship. And then when it comes to our volunteers and our donors specifically, we, I'm so sorry. Did you just hear that noise? Sorry, if you did. Um, I'll keep going. Quite practically, one of the ways that we do discipleship, even with our volunteers and our donors, is um, about three times a year, we host what we call encounter nights, which is specifically time for us as a staff and board to pray with and for our volunteers and our donors. And so it's a night of worship and prayer, and we have by worship and we have prayer stations that it's a it's a free fluid night but we have just seen tremendous god do tremendous things through those things and it's a labor of love for us to be able to walk with our volunteers and donors and it not just be about again it's not transactional this is relational Mm. we care about what's going on with your families um and then when it comes to our clients that we serve um of course as a faith-based ministry there's no denying that we're a faith-based ministry and everybody knows it, but especially with the demographic and the population that we work with, we are very careful that we do not, um, what we, what we have had some girls call pulpit pimp them. Mm. Meaning if you say you love Jesus then we'll give you counseling and we'll care for you and we'll provide you at tutoring and all those things. So with the girls that we serve, the clients that we serve and that initial intake and that initial assessment that we do with them, we ask them, what is their perspective of God and where do they stand? And if they say to us, I want nothing to do with your God, then we respect that. Mm. Um, and we then, it doesn't mean we stop praying for them. It doesn't mean that we don't stop interceding for them, but we respect where they're at and trust that God will work on that, that mm-hmm. we don't have to manipulate that. And we are very, there's a hard line there because we don't want that ever to get confused. We don't want them to choose religion for the sake of getting a support system, right? right? Um, but in that moment, if they say, no, it's because of God that I'm alive and I would love discipleship, then we pair them with someone who does one-on-one discipleship. And so the mechanism is in place. And eventually, almost always, I'm not going to say 100%, but unanim- you know, unanimously what happens is the girls start asking questions because they see something very authentic being lived out in front of them which is why the culture and discipleship is so important on a staff level, volunteer level, because the girls inevitably always ask the question, why are you doing this? And why is this different? And so it gives us the opportunity to explain why. And now we had a way to follow up if they have those questions. Hmm. So there's multi layers, but it's very, very important to us. And we take it very, very seriously. <laughs> well, and even, even there's, is an intentionality up front with asking, are you open to having these conversations or not? And even if they say no, you've, you've been intentional with that 
communication rather than just um, hoping that it happens one day. It, it happens one day, right? And I, I think that that is so important. Like, can yes. I share? Can I share one story with you? Absolutely. So we had um, one of our girls recently um, um, gave her life to the Lord and was baptized. And so, fast forward six months, and one of our girls who, in that initial intake, said, "I want nothing to do with God." Right? Mm-hmm. We respected it. But happens like on the, she was leaving the office when they were in a group setting. And she says, as she's leaving, will you guys pray for me? Which is huge because there is this open door now and this invitation to step into that with her. Right. Um, but she was going to just say it and leave because <laughs> it was awkward. This is new. She didn't know what, she didn't know what that even really meant. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 17 year old who six months later, six months prior had given her life to the Lord overheard her and said, I want to pray for her. Right. And so there was this moment of, for our team to not only be able to help navigate for this, for this 13 year old, what this actually even means, but because of the discipleship that had taken place with the 17 year old, you know, the 17 year old took her place and said, but I know what she feels like. Cause I was there not only even not less than a year ago. And so there was just this beautiful moment. And our staff just got to watch it. You know, they didn't even really have to do anything. Um, because what's being done is being done at an individual level. And then they have, um, they have these opportunities to really like practice that and walk that out. Um, and so it just makes for these beautiful moments of ministry that happen organically. And it's just, it's, it's amazing to watch. That's really cool. Now, is, is there a reason that the discipleship element or the, the faith-based element, what you guys are doing in that arena is not communicated on public facing communication? Well, um, I, I would, I, I would say it is because I mean, if you look at like our Facebook or our Instagram, we're always posting scripture and we talk about the theme of the month and group mm-hmm. and how it's cultivating fruit. And so it's, we are very open about it. Um, but about where the organization as a whole stands from a faith-based perspective, we have a statement of faith that people can access all of those things. Gotcha. When it comes directly with the girls, we want that to be individualized and gotcha. them not feel like they're being forced to believe in something that they don't understand um, and giving them the space to ask the question, why did God let this happen to me? And if God is real, then how come pastors were coming to pay to have sex with me? Mm. Right? Because it's confusing to them and they things have been confused. And so giving them the place and the space to know that we're going to love you regardless and we're going to love you in spite of what you say you do or don't believe. Um, and that piece of it is very important. That's really cool. Yeah, not not requiring them to believe in what yeah. you believe. Correct. To receive the love that you guys are offering. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. That's really good. Uh, it sounds like you guys have seen a lot of um, amazing stories come out of that approach. It, it's been incredible. It's been incredible. We could talk for just an hour about that. So <laughs> that's, that's so cool. It, it's been amazing. We get to just see miracles happen. I mean, there's no other explanation. I mean, things that are impossible and then mm-hmm. you just see it happen. And it's like, that was incredible. That's sweet. Now you've talked a lot about present ages strategies. You guys have a very strategic approach to everything you do. I mean, down to categorizing everything. And so how th- this idea has been, um, 
like top of mind for me for a, a while now. How do you stay strategic in your approach to ministry and and um, plan out and build out steps to execute on those strategies all while staying nimble to uh, maybe a change in direction for the organization with with God's guidance and leading. Like if if you feel like the best strategy is to go left and you feel the Lord leading you right, um, oh, if, yeah. if we're so strategic in our approach to ministry yep. that, that we're not nimble enough to adjust and turn yeah. right, like with that, that's a, it's a dangerous place to be in, but yeah. there's a lot of wisdom in being strategic in everything that we do. So like, what does yeah. that balance kind of look like for your ministry? Absolutely. And you're a hundred percent right. I think for us board member, this, and I would say this really is at a board level because hmm. that's when we're talking about these kind of decisions, that's going to happen at a board level typically right. before it filters down. And so in our process of interviewing new board members, we actually ask that exact question to them. If everything on paper says we should go left, but we feel certain that we've heard from the Lord and he's saying, go right. How do what do you do? We actually ask that question because what we want, we have to be united in as a board is that at the end of the day, what God says trumps anything that we have on paper, Mm. even if it makes no sense. And We've seen that come to head on numerous occasions, <laughs> as you could imagine. And, um, but we've also seen the faithfulness of being obedient. And the way that we, okay, so how do we determine the next question usually is, well, then how do you know what God's saying? Well, there's peace and there's unity and there's clarity mm. by, by not just one person, but by, by the whole. And so for us, just the rule, you know, if you will, the unwritten rule is, is what God says trumps. And so, you know, an example of that is we have been working to open our second office here at a regional level locally. And we've been putting things in place on paper. We've got budgets lined up. We've been talking to people. We've been talking to donors. Right. We've been doing all of the work to strategically step forward into that. Mm -hmm. And after that first trip that we spent to went to Kenya, which was going to just be to train up other people like every other trip had been that very first board meeting after that trip. We were talking and discussing about the things that happened and unanimously it was our second office. Our focus doesn't need to be open on this, this local office. It needs to be focusing on opening this office. Mm. It was that clear. And yet on paper, that's not what we were working towards. Right. And so those are the type of moments where when we're heeding the guidance of the Holy Spirit, um, you can, you can turn right, even though you were going left and guess what? The left, the, the, the left path is still still being worked on. <laughs> you know, it's not that, that that we heard wrong or that we were moving in the wrong direction. It's just, like you said, being willing to be nimble and adjust when needed, and it's just critical. And for us as, a, as an organization, the way that we do that is we stay faithful in prayer, and we mm. stay faithful in submitting our plans um, constantly um, to the Lord and making sure that we aren't getting ahead and we aren't lagging behind um, and just being intentional to be stay, stay united on those things. That's really cool. You had a, you had a strategy and plan in place to go left and, it, and he goes, uh, yes. And, and exactly. And, <laughs> exactly. And, uh, like thinks yes, always and. thinking, yeah. it seems like he's always, always thinking so much bigger than we can imagine for, oh. for the ministries that he's called us into. Uh, and it's, it's 
giving him the space to be God, right? Like, yeah. oh, I, I wouldn't have even known to ask for that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know? That's awesome. Well, yeah. cool. Well, Hannah, this has been awesome. I really appreciate your time uh, coming on yeah. the show and, and sharing present age and what you guys are doing. Um, can I pray for your ministry real quick? I would love that, yes. Father, I just lift up present age and Hannah as she leads this organization to pray for clear guidance um, as you go before them, that they would seek you and follow after you and that you would just uh, continue to do bigger things than they could ever imagine for the ministry. I pray that uh, you would continue to rescue and redeem um, and and bring girls to to a knowledge and understanding and a love for you, Jesus, into a relationship with you. Um, thank you so much. I say this every week, but thank you that you've invited us into this story. Father, you've invited us into partnership with you. Um, you could have done it all on your own, but but you've invited us into this story of redemption. And so uh, we're just so grateful and thankful that we get to be a part of that. And I pray that you would just bless Hannah and her, her ministry and, and her team um, and just continue to move in powerful ways. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. All right, Hannah, how can people get a hold of you if they want to know more about Present Age? Absolutely. They can just visit our website at presentageministries.org. Perfect. Contact us there. Well, thank you again for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation, and I look forward to continuing to listen to stories. Yes. Bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.